winter. Hello and welcome to What We Do in the Winter. This is the 45th episode in this series of podcasts from the Isles of Mull, Iona, Ulva and Gometra. I'm Alistair Satchel, I live outside of Dervig in the north of Mull, and I'll be your host today. In this episode, I talk with Gordon Bruce of Iona. Originally from Cumbernauld, Gordon has lived on Iona for the last 18 years or so. We talk about life before Gordon came to Iona for a good chunk of the episode, and then roughly halfway through, we come on to his life on Iona, the various jobs that he's had over the years, and touch into the nature of life in a small community, and touchingly, the kindness of others. Needless to say, as Gordon comes from Cumbernauld, I did sully our conversation by then going into a certain advertising phrase associated with the town, and fall down the rabbit hole of 80s Scottish advertising slogans. The only one that I failed to mention that I can recall at present was Glenn's, Robertson's, Hutchison's and Stepek. Please feel free to share other memorable 80s advertising slogans from your surrounds on our Twitter feed or Facebook page. We go into the early days of home computing as part of this episode. One thing I forgot to mention when we were chatting about it was the smell of the metalised paper from a ZX Spectrum printer. It was a very precise smell that comes back to my mind. It, it was quite something. It reminds me of the old Telex machines that my dad used to have on ship when I went away on adventures with my mum and him as a wee man. Now, it's funny how smells stay with you over the years and activate different memories since they last, last been smelled. It's quite something. My wife Georgia and our dog Ripley make an appearance towards the end of the episode so that's the noise you can hear in the background of uh, our chat. I'll be back at the end of the podcast with more havers and some information on our live event which takes place in Dervig Village Hall on Saturday the 7th of March, this Saturday. And now, with great pleasure, I give you Gordon Bruce. Who are you? Well, I'm Gordon. Gordon Bruce. I'm 50. Congratulations. Just passed. I live in Iona now. Been here for 18 years, I think. Maybe 18 years this year. Grew up in the Central Belt in Cumbernauld, Newtown boy. Mm. And uh, I left school, went to college, studied graphic design, worked as a graphic designer for Seven years in Glasgow, three years in Stirling, and then three years in Edinburgh. And I was working in Edinburgh before I had the chance to come up here. The pool of Iona was really strong. Mm-hmm. Didn't know what I was going to do when I got here, but had the opportunity and thought, let's go and give it a go. And been here since. So Cumbernauld, um, obviously, for many of the listeners, they'll be going, what's it called, but for which I apologise. I just need to shed um, Stillicultry near Terling as well. <laughs> Stillicultry near Sterling. That's the sort of thing that comes out of your mind as well at the same time. It's amazing how... Um, Glasgow smells better. Sorry. Uh, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but it's amazing how, uh, you know, not there can't be many advertising slogans that yeah. have stuck oh, that yeah. well, you know. Oh, it's really something. So mm-hmm. so your folks then, are they were they from Cumbernauld? Or were they there when it was <clears throat> getting established? Or uh, Yeah, so my dad my dad was born in Aberdeen right. and but he grew up in Glasgow in a street called James Orr Street which is just, it's underneath part of the Royal Infirmary now, the kind of newer parts of the Royal oh, Infirmary. Right, okay. That's where James Orr Street was. Yeah, so my dad grew up there but I don't think it was particularly salubrious. Yeah. And then, I'm, oh, I, I'm not entirely sure of the, the thing, whether the, the house that he lived in was going to be demolished um, because they were building the Royal Infirmary or that just happened afterwards or whatever. But um, yeah, my dad and his father were out in Cumbernauld, they would be amongst the first people to settle in the new town um, in a street called Kyle Road, I think, which was literally one of the first bits to be developed. You know. What did he say about, or what does he say about um, growing up in Cumbernauld? Was he conscious of that it was different, that it was new, it was well, a, he didn't a sort of really, social experiment? He didn't really grow up there. He'd have been, I think, 16 or 17, okay. something like that. I think, yeah, some kind of age like that, maybe 15, um, because he went to school in Lenzie for a wee bit. So that was that would be the nearest school that he had to go to, which is a good eight or nine miles away. Mm-hmm. Do I know? And, um, and your Jordan. Hello. 
Good morning. <laughs> They've got Alistair Satchel here. It's all right, it's fine. Yeah. Brilliant. Great. Okay. Thank you. He's coming round to you next. <laughs> right. Okay, see you, Anya. Bye, Anya. Bye, bye. So let's go back. So going. Sorry. No, 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 nothing. I'm sorry, but going back to Cameron Old. So, um, your dad went to school in Lindsay. Um, uh-huh. and what? So was Lindsay quite a big town at that point compared to? Oh, yeah. Compared to Cumbernauld. Yes. So in Cumbernauld, you, you, you're aware that there's the village in Cumbernauld. There's always been a settlement. The old there. settlement, yeah. yeah. Um, but it didn't have a high school. I guess maybe all the pupils from Cumbernauld at that time went to Lindsay or went somewhere else. And am I right in remembering Gregory's Girl was filmed in Cumbernauld, didn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so was that your dad's time? Was that just after his time? Uh, well, he no, my dad would be in his... Gregory's Girl was filmed when I was about nine or ten, something like that. Right. And which would have been about 1980, mid-80s. So my dad would be 35 right. by then. Okay. So do you remember it being filmed? Am I, no, not really. Okay. I have a big question to ask you then. Mm-hmm. Do you like watching trucks? <laughs> Sorry. Yes, and I have, a, I have a, a bit of cardboard that says Caracas on it. Yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> so when I'm hitchhiking. I saw, I saw it again for the first time in years. It's brilliant. It really is. It's just, and I remember watching it as a teenager and being like, it's, it's all right. But I watched it there and it was just fantastic. And it's that, what I love is that scene with the two of them uh, just dancing on the ground. Mm-hmm. All that stuff mm-hmm. is really nice. It was John Gordon Sinclair's birthday yesterday. All right. For the, you know, now this is going to screw up when this goes out. <laughs> but on Twitter, somebody posted something about it and then somebody suggested that people post their favourite quotes from it and there's a list that goes on and on and on. It's and a on. <laughs> That's the one I remember from being a wee yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So it's well-loved, you know. It's well, oh, I think aye. it's great, you know. Bill Forsyth's an absolute genius. Like, yeah. And really yeah. managed to capture something of the domestic identity of Scotland at that time mm-hmm. that wasn't, kind of, is not flashy or showy. Mm-hmm. And that, one of my favourite things in that film, which is just, it's so well-observed, is The Penguin. Mm-hmm. There's just a penguin yeah. wandering around. Yeah, what's it all about? But it's just. And who's it? Chick. Uh, oh, Chick Murray. Chick Murray. Yeah, I always yeah. get him mixed up. I was out at Christmas time in Glasgow, and we were in a bar called Buzzy Wears, which is in the basement of Prince's Square. Uh-huh. I was in the toilet there. It was two days before Christmas or something like that, and it was you know quite late on in the evening, and Ali McCoist and Chick. Young were there <laughs> in the toilet alongside me. Right. And I turned to him and I said, You're Chick Murray, aren't you? And he said, No, son, I'm Chick Young. <laughs> A beamer. Yeah. <laughs> so, Gregory's Girl is obviously part of the kind of, it's part of the, the, the myth of Cumbernauld in some ways. Well, that sort of, the, we're talking about the myth earlier on of, uh, of Iona, how people see things and all the, the yeah. everyone has their own kind of myth or everything, yeah. every community has its own myth. Um, how, to what did it feel like growing up? Uh, obviously, you, you didn't have comparison growing up to somewhere rural or whatever, but were you conscious that this was a new community that had been created when you were growing up? No. No. But I have to say, you know, Cumbernauld is much derided. I have always liked it. Well, but, you know, it, you know, it's the carbuncle of the century or it's something. It's not Bonnie, no, that's true, but... I loved growing up there. Aye. As a child, you know, by the time, it's certainly by the time I was able to ride a bike, you know, which was oh, six or seven, you could go miles yeah. on a bike because um, because of the separation of the, you know, pedestrians and traffic. I mean, they were cycled on the pavement. Mm-hmm. Um, but you could, you could go... For miles in relative safety, there were loads of spring parks and stuff like that. Now they have, you know, sadly because people get frightened about these things now. Um, all the climbing frames and all the roundabouts and all the slides have all been taken away, which is a real shame and not replaced in most cases. And there's quite a lot of green space. There's quite a lot of woodland. I spent my, you know, my days off from school climbing trees and hmm. you know climbing and climbing frames and cycling about and generally just had a great time you know we used to go to the town centre which um had a has a right away through it 
And so in the evening, and the, there's a library which is in the middle of the town, you know, I'm talking about the town centre, there's mm-hmm. this big concrete... Yeah. Blade Runner. <laughs> yes, or like that. Um, but um, it was all open at night. You know, there was very few parts that were kind of locked off at night. Right. And so we would go up there as eight, nine, ten-year-olds on our bikes and we would just roam around in there at night. And then the security guards, you know, they would come and chase Baby you. Son. And <laughs> yeah. Like that. Um, but we had a brilliant time, you know, a brilliant time roaming about the whole place, you know, maybe not as free as... Well, I think one of the interesting things about here is that the... You know, children growing up here have quite a lot of freedom. Yeah. Certainly in comparison to my niece and nephew who, who live in Cumberland now. Right. But I had loads of freedom when I was young as well. You know, all all of that has been, you know, people are much more... The cultural attitudes have changed. And also our, our engagement with media has changed as well. Um, it's a bogeyman around every corner, you know. Uh, well, indeed. Yes, totally. Yeah. But also, we, you know, we... Um, I have a friend who's a, uh, a composer, and he was saying that if he'd had a PlayStation when he was younger, he would never have gone into music. He would have spent his whole time playing FIFA. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I think there's a way around that as well, of just mm-hmm. switching them off. And, mm-hmm. and but I, I have to say that um, I, as a eleven or twelve year old, got a ZX Spectrum for my Christmas one oh, year. Oh yeah, piece of rubber key calculator. <laughs> yes. yes, I love them. And uh, and we also used to get this. Used to get this. Sinclair User Magazine or some kind of thing like that. Wow! Um, which came out once a month or something like that. And in it, they, they had these programmes that and people basic. had written yeah. and, and submitted to the magazine. Yeah. And so myself and my friend Andy would spend hours on a Saturday. Like, he would sit and read out the things and I'd be typing it in or vice versa. Yeah. You know? It would take hours yeah. to key in all the stuff. And then you'd hit run and it, you know, you would get a couple of lines through it and then it would stop. <laughs> it wouldn't work and then you had to go through it all and see where you'd... Debug it. Yes. Hours and hours and hours. Or the, you know, the power would have a wee blip or something like that and you'd lose the whole shooting. Oh, you know, yeah. just... So I cannot really criticise children that spend time in front of computers now because... The majority of my teenage years were spent uh, writing shit dance music and uh, Mike Oldfield covers uh-huh. on uh, Octomed. Uh, on the Amiga 1200. Right. That was a lot of time spent. <laughs> See? So, yeah, that was similar. The, um, the problem with the ZX Spectrum always <clears> was the, the power connection. It always got weak and was wobbly, but yeah. It's wobbly, exactly. So did you have um, Ghostbusters, the game? Um, I I really can't remember. We, oh, uh, come was, on, man. Aliens, Ghostbusters, these had, were the games. It was Jet Set Willy. Jet Set and, Willy. And, um, what else did was that say? not quite rude, Jet Set Willy? No. There was, was it school days that was rude? Well, maybe. I, I don't remember. I remember, I mean, the best thing about it was, you know, people bought this software on a cassette tape. Yes. And then, before you knew it, like, initially I didn't have a single deck thing with two cassettes on it. Right. But you could easily get two rubbishy cassette players and hook them up together. Yeah, left and right channel. And just make a duplicate of the thing. Didn't always work, mm. um, but you know, nine times out of ten, you could get a fairly decent copy of it, and then we just swapped games the whole time. It was great in that respect. Yeah. You know, you could, yeah, they would call you a software pirate or something like that nowadays. But, That's right. But as kids, it was it was the best way to stretch your pocket money a bit. You know, in school they had the BBC one. You know, I don't know. Grand I think Garden. they were all sort of the Oregon Trail related. Yeah, I. Um, so I think yeah, that was a BBC was an Acorn Micro, wasn't it, in some way? But, yeah. so I think so. I can remember a school teacher showing us a modem for the first time in school. That's amazing. It had a modem, but it was literally, a, you know, a box about the size of a brick with these two big kind of rubber cups on it. That's and then they had the telephone thing that you just put off the receiver, dialed the number, and then you, you know, plugged the, the handset into this, these two rubber cup things. And yeah. And God only knows what kind of speed the data transfer was or whatever, but just... One bit a year. <laughs> and I don't know what you would, you know, what would you, what would you do with it, but... I don't know, what would you be transmitting? I don't know. The thing that you'd copied out of the Sinclair user magazine and you'd sit and type for hours and hours and hours and then you were able to send it to your pal. Yeah, maybe that's, yeah. As long as he had a modem the same. I can remember a computer that. game that turned up in a, in a little arcade or something in Cumbernauld. Which used a laser disc, and it was a comedy. It was a real footage or something. It was mm. it was a kind of jet plane thing that you flew along this canyon, having to bomb things or whatever. Wow. But I remember thinking that was 
the future, you know. And it ran off as quickly as a disc. So, um, Cumbernauld, the you're at school is in secondary school, primary school, and secondary school in Cumbernauld. Yeah, both. What was that experience like? Was it was it quite a busy school, particularly the, the secondary? The secondary school, uh, Greenfields High School, had somewhere between thirteen hundred and fourteen hundred pupils. Big school. It's a big school. I mean, it, uh, one of the things that was always kind of highlighted about it was the kind of art department, which mm. I think we had. I think there were six or seven teachers in the art department. You know, and That's so big. That's yeah, big. you know that's a reflection of the the size of the school. But you know, it was a big. Big school. And that's from a, a, a little, quite a small catchment area, really, you know, like a two or three mile radius. So, talk briefly about your dad, born in Aberdeen, raised in Glasgow. What about your mum? Where was your mum from? Well, my mum, um, she was born in Glasgow and lived there until she was eight or nine or something like that. I can't be certain on that. Mm-hmm. And then her her father died when she was quite young. Right. Um, and then there was a period where my mum and her mum just lived on their own my mum's brother as well but my mum's brother is a good bit older and then my grandmother remarried to uh, Jimmy the three of them up six and moved to Weymouth really? because there's a big naval base at Portland there Um, and that's where his work took him so she spent six years or so in Weymouth and then Jimmy died and my mum and her mum came back and I think they initially were in Glasgow and then I think they ended up in Cumbernauld as well Right, and is that where your folks met then, in Cumbernauld? Yes Right Yes So your your path, uh, you went from school to do graphic design What was it that led you to be interested in graphic design? I'm not entirely sure and the, the um, I guess it was a combination of things but you know, I did alright at high school um, Always quite late. I was, you know, I did the art up until I think I did six year studies art. Um, I like the six year studies program. I did it in English. And it was just a wee bit freer, a wee bit more. Oh, exactly, exactly. You feel really almost nice. like an adult. Yeah, you know, cool. or, or or certainly the you know your teachers and things. Yeah, definitely. Definitely um, treat you a wee bit. More responsibility. Wee bit. Yeah, 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 yeah. My cousin, uh, who now lives in Canada, he. Um, I suppose maybe he had similar interests to me. He was a wee bit older than me. I was kind of uh, very fond of him and I always kind of looked up to him a wee bit. Um, and he went off to the College of Building and Printing to do graphic design a year or two ahead of me because he was a, a wee bit older. Mm-hmm. And then somehow that just took my fancy and I went away and that's what I did as well. So was it the College of Building and Printing that you went to? Yeah. Where was that? <clears throat> well, the main building is just... It's the next one along from Queen Street Station in Glasgow. It's the you know the the one with the big oh, tower. Okay. And they had an annex which is down in Bridgeton. Okay. And the graphic design people were all down there. The main building had the builders and the plumbers and the printers. So my father was a printer. He went to the cool. College of Building and Printing as well. Oh, lovely. And his father was a printer. Gosh. And his father was a printer. So there's there's three. Generations of printers. Any Caxtons in the family, by any chance? <laughs> and um, so, although I wasn't um, actually the title of the course that I did at college for the first two years was design for print. I quite like the fact that um, you know, uh, you know, the the career path has taken a little bit of a it's a little bit of a detour, but it's essentially in the same you're line s- of work. You're still in the image, <clears throat> yeah. In terms of a uh, Student life, what was it like living in, in I presume you lived in Glasgow or did you, you stay no, at home? No, I stayed at home. Right. I got a bursary for my first year at college, which was £60, which basically paid for my train ticket for six weeks. Yeah. That was it. A big part of staying at home was financial, you know, because yeah. I didn't have, um, I basically didn't have the money to move it. I didn't really have much notion to move it either. So, you've done your studies, 
What was your first job? Well, so I went to work for a company called Jobling and Young Design Associates in Glasgow. What did they do? Graphic design. The first two years of my college course were called Design for Print. And then there was an optional third year, which was HNC graphic design. I had a friend, Alistair, who was in the class as well. He went off and started to work at Jobling and Young. And then at the end of the third year, we had a little... A showing. A showing, yeah, exactly. Um, and Alistair was there with um, Bill, who was Bill Young, who was one of the directors of Jobling and Young. And they came to the show. What I remember most of the show was that the students were responsible for organising kind of cheese and wine and stuff like that and somehow everybody chipping in for the cheese and wine we, had, we bought this Bulgarian Chardonnay or something like that it was pretty rough <laughs> um, anyway and then when it actually came to the point where it was the, the show you know there was a, you know there'd been quite a lot of work in the preparation for the thing and when it actually got to the show we were just drinking as much of the cheap wine as we you know <laughs> as we could get our hands on you know and so the day after or two days after the show, I had this phone call from Bill Young, um, who basically saying, Hi, it's Bill Young here. And I'm like, Who are you? <laughs> you know? <laughs> uh, yeah, I spoke to you at the at the show the other night. And, oh yes, yes, I remember, you know. <laughs> anyway, the next thing, um he was basically phoning because they'd been at the show, they'd liked my work. He'd obviously spoken to Al and Al had you know, filled him in a bit about me or whatever. And then they invited me for an interview and then they basically offered me a job. So I literally finished college and maybe had a week off or something like that. And then I went to work. I mean, it was, in wow. a lot of respects, it was great. Wow. I can't really complain about that. That's a historical document in itself. My God, that, <laughs> that doesn't happen anymore at all. No. And, and... Gosh. But, you know, part of me at the time was thinking, oh, you know, I wanted to have a kind of summer holiday. I wanted to, you know... <laughs> You know, I wanted to do something yeah. exciting for a wee bit, you know, yeah. but and I literally, you know, yeah. went to work, you know, almost as soon as I finished. So this is 1990. Oh, hello. Fantastic. Yeah. So there's loads of work. There's a lot of Rennie Macintosh inspired print at that yeah, time as well. Uh, you know, but there's been, the, it's the city of culture. Yeah. Um, so there's loads of work. Um, and uh, Bill and Roy, who's the other director, had, um, they had contracts with like Scottish Enterprise. And then I can't remember if that was a wee bit later, but there was Dumbartonshire Enterprise as well. You know, they, oh, right. uh, at one point there was Scottish Enterprise, which and then they had all these local yeah uh, agencies. I think they've the all been pulled, development pulled back in house yeah. again now. I think oh we we did work for a company called Daiwa who make golf clubs and fishing gear, a big Japanese company. They had a they had a factory down in Wishaw. I don't know if it's still there. Um, so they were making fishing rods down there. And they produced this catalogue each year, which was probably, you know, it'd be five or six mils thick, you know, a hundred plus pages mm -hmm. of fishing rods and Tackle reels and all the, you know, people get right into that stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and so that was a big job that we did each year, which involved going away and we used a photographer over on the south side and he photographed everything and all in, on film in those mm -hmm. days, large format, you know, sort of five by four. Um, images beautifully sharp and crisp mm -hmm. um, but all we had to, uh, in those days as well um, I didn't set a computer and and put together pages mm -hmm. it was it was paste up we, we got we got a typesetter to typeset bits of text and then so I would start with a, a big blank white sheet and then we'd have to paste in all these bits of stuff and then you put an overlay on it and you marked up where pictures went and, and you had to a little tracing on top of the the film positive saying this is the part I want you know and then you had to scale that to fit the box and and then the whole thing went away to a repro company who scanned all the images and, and they took basically what, what was a, a, a layout which was just black and white and they were responsible for adding the colour to all the text and it was a very complicated business compared to now my god um, just looking at you sitting beside your iPad there I know. Or in the phone in your pocket. I know. The, yeah. Gosh. Yeah, it's incredible now. Um, and so, but actually, I, I, in some respects, I feel really privileged that uh, that yeah. I was there at that yeah. point because I've I seen the, trans, the, yeah. the transition to digital. And actually, over the seven years or so I worked for Jobling and Young, it was really exciting to start, you know, doing all this stuff on a screen in front of you, you yeah, know. Totally. And, and, Total challenge. Totally different. Yeah. 
um, and but really limited by the technology in some respects as well. In terms, you know, you, nowadays you can open up an image, you know, a thirty or forty megabyte image, and move it around and no manipulate problems, it. Yeah. You know, and there's no lag. Yeah. In those days, you know, if you had a, a three or a four megabyte image, you know, you would ask Photoshop, you know, kind of, you know, change this, and then you would sit and you would wait for the little spinning thing. You know, it would take. 10, 15 yeah. seconds to, yeah. you know, to do the change that you wanted. Then you say, oh, actually, I don't like that. And then you undo it again. And then, right. You know, the whole process was really slow compared to... Yeah. With the flying toaster on it as well. The, the old Mac. God. <laughs> Gosh. It's going way back. So you work as a graphic artist for a number of years. Mm-hmm. What then brought you to Iona? Uh, so, well, so I worked for Jobling Art for seven years, and then I worked in Stillen for three years, and then I worked in Edinburgh. Um, and I was really enjoying Edinburgh. I, um, I worked for a company there uh, called Pure Design, which was headed up by a guy called Mick Dean, who was a lovely bloke. Sadly died last year. Um, but they were doing really nice, really nice work, winning awards. And at that point, I was more, mostly doing kind of artworker stuff, which is basically, yeah, I'd basically shadow a designer. I love design when I've got time and I've got space to do it but it can be quite a high pressure thing as well and so when you're an art worker you're basically working with a designer they kind of establish a design in something like a um, a university prospectus which is one of the things that we did there's a few pages at the beginning which are you know maybe slightly more interesting layouts and whatever to, to introduce the place and whatever but then you get into the part which is the kind of all their different courses and they're all all those pages follow a pretty similar layout format yeah totally yeah. so the designer doesn't want to put all those pages together he establishes a layout and then you as the artwork take it and then you just replicate that over the the, the hundred or so pages of the prospectus so I'm um, I'm working in Edinburgh I'm still living in Cumbernauld right gosh yeah yeah uh, I've only ever lived in Cumbernauld or here <laughs> that's brilliant <laughs> Gosh. Yeah, uh, I had a little flat there. Yeah. Um, so I wasn't. I was no longer living with my parents, but I was still. And it's great. Actually, part of the reason for that is because I've still got a really good group of friends in Cumberland. A really yeah. good group of friends in Cumberland, and yeah, so that's what matters. Um, you know, they didn't all scatter to the four winds, and so you know, felt. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. So coming up here, um, so I was in a relationship with Jane. Um, How did you meet Jane? Uh, I met her when I was working in Stirling. Right. I worked um, for a design company there who had an office in a building which was the Old Town Jail. And most of the Old Town Jail oh, yeah, is yeah. Up, yeah. Just, it's just below the castle. Yeah. A big chunk of the building is like a visitor attraction. Yeah. They have all these little cells with wax <laughs> yeah wax figures in them at various stages of incarceration but there were also some offices I mean it's one of these quite clever projects that they obviously wanted to do something with the building yeah. but they had to be able to finance the whole thing and so some of it is offices but Jane worked on she worked in the visitor attraction she was I think she was the manager or assistant manager or something like that in the visitor attraction part of it so responsible for taking people around and showing them all the scary wax figures and telling them about the history of the place. So that's how I met Jane. I was working in an office and she was working in the visitor attraction. At some point, anyway, Jane and I hadn't been going out all that long, maybe a year or so, and, but Jane had come to Iona when she was a student. Right. And she'd worked, I think, four seasons here at the bed and breakfast just along the street there at Finlay Ross. Right. When it was run, I mean, I think it was, at one point it was a really busy B&B <laughs> to the point where um, there was a manager and some staff yeah. to, to um, you know, change beds and clean and things. And also they had the shop there. Right. Uh, which is still good. And so, uh, yeah, Jane had done four summer seasons there working for Alison, who still lives in Iowa, Alison Wagstaff. Mm-hmm. And, um, and the, at some point, Jane had said to me, I think we should go to Iona, you know, Let's go to Iona. And so we come up, we had a great week, maybe not a whole week, but you know, Monday to Friday or something like that. Um, we come up and we stayed with Alison, who eyed me with some suspicion, I think. <laughs> Does she still do so? Probably. 
she's not going to listen to this. Uh, and anyway, so we came up, we had a brilliant week. The weather was pretty decent and we just did all the kind of things that people that come to Iona for a week do. You know, we went yeah. to Columbus Bay, we went up Dunee, mm-hmm. we went out to Stafford with Davey. Um, we actually had a failed attempt at climbing Ben Moore as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had a brilliant time. And at one point during that week, we were out walking Alison's dog. And I happened to say to Jane, I think I'd quite like to live here. It'd be quite nice. And just It was a real throwaway comment. Yeah. yeah. But that was it. But there was no, you know, it wasn't... Blinding light of revelation. No, but it, it wasn't in, it, was, it wasn't going to happen. It was just something I said, you know. Yeah, exactly. Anyway. Within two or three months, there was an advertisement in the Glasgow Herald at the mm-hmm. time. The jobs were advertised in the papers. Mm-hmm. And it was for the monument manager's job at Iona Abbey. And Jane said to me, do you think I should apply for that? And I'm saying, well, if you want to, you know, what have you got to lose? You, know, you, you can apply for it. You, you, know, you don't have to follow up on that in any mm-hmm. way well. Anyway, so she applied for it um, and then she was asked for an interview. So Jane and I came back here, stayed with Alison again, which was quite nice. And Jane went for the interview and she came away from it saying, ah, no, no way, no way, didn't get it, no way. Um, and she rhymed all the reasons why she'd botched the whole thing. Uh, so, fair enough. Uh, anyway, then we, um, I think the interview was on a Thursday and on the Friday we went back home and the Friday night we were at a wedding it wasn't until the Saturday that we were back at Jane's mum and dad's house and we got to Jane's mum and dad's house our parents were out um, but here's this um, letter sitting on the kitchen table which Jane you know Historic Scotland on the label yeah picks up and opens and she's literally standing there with a letter in her hand and her other hand over her mouth and shaking and I'm saying, what is it? And she said, they've offered me the job. <laughs> and uh, so then... Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, it was great. You had kind of said to her, well, you know, if you if you want to go to Iona, you know, I would go with you. It, when it came to it, there was really no hesitation on my part. Yeah. The, the, you know, there were practical difficulties in terms of uh, this flat in Cumbernauld. What was I going to do with that? And also, I was working in Edinburgh and I was enjoying working there. That yeah. was the thing, you know. So, and when I, you know, coming up here... Not well, to a job. Not to a job, yeah. And and basically, you know, like I didn't think there were any graphic design firms in Iona. You know, so... No, no, <laughs> I don't know where the nearest one would be. a partnership of it, potential anyway. <laughs> so there were, there were a number of doubts in my mind about whether actually I could make it work. You know, as, you know from Jane's point of view, it was great. It was a, you know, it was a step up. She had a, a, you know, a decent income to come to in Historic Scotland were providing the house mm-hmm. and which uh, house was that this house all oh, right okay mm-hmm. gosh um so so you've been in this house for 18 years mm-hmm. wow mm-hmm. so the first couple of months or so i just said well okay so i'm going to come to you and that's fine um but i'm gonna to have to i'm gonna to have to you know serve my notice at pure there was no chance of working down the wire from at that point in time, I presume. Well, there's no broadband here. Aye. We looked at satellite broadband and it was like, you know, it was <sighs> £500 a month or something yeah. like that, you know. And so, they, you know, that would be a big commitment. And, and it, you know, comparatively, it wasn't all that fast. And we would have to set up a virtual private network. All those things were a lot more complicated 18 yeah. years ago. So we kind of explored that a little bit. But I think it was kind of a... It was too risky, I think, to yeah. try and... Try and you know, make that work. And, you know, it would be a big imposition on the people I was working for in some respects as well, you know, because it it would mean them having to change how they worked to some degree as well, you know. Um, So that never came to pass. Um, So for the first couple of months we were here, um, Jane started work at the Abbey and then I was was back and forth to Cumbernauld trying to get the flat ready to let and... And then at one point when I was away, I was on the phone to Jane at night and um, she said, um, there's a job came up, it's advertised on the note, on the notice board. And I said, oh yeah, what's that? She said, it's the postage job. 
And I was like, oh, I'd love to do that. I'd love to do that, you know. So that was a, a wee kind of chink of light. So the job's advertised. I, you know, respond to the, I'd fill out the form or whatever I had to do, I can't remember. And then I get called for an interview to Oban. Mm-hmm. I go to Oban. It's probably a week or two weeks before Christmas or something. It's quite late on in the in the year. And Next time you have to start with the post. <laughs> and uh, I'm there in my in a shirt and tie. Maybe I think I had my suit on, in fact. Mm-hmm. And I go to this grotty sort of office in Oban, which is hot. You know, it's, it feels mm-hmm. dirty and horrible. Um, there's all these other folk there who are obviously there for Christmas. You know, casual yeah. work. It's my turn to be called in to the, the and the bloke there, John, who's the, the kind of manager. He said, um, so you're here, you're here for my owner. Um, and he said, well, you're the only person that's applied. So, so basically, you know, <laughs> you start as soon as you can. The best thing about working about that interview was that they had a kind of competency test All right, okay. you had to do. And it was like, like two sides of an A4 sheet or something like that. But it was full of these questions that were like, if there's a 20 pence stamp and a 5 pence stamp, what does that add up to? Yeah. Or, you know, if an 18 pence stamp and a 7 pence stamp, what is that? Yeah. And I'm looking at this thing and I'm thinking, is this a joke? Is this is there a camera somewhere, you know? Yeah. <laughs> these, it's, it's really yeah. pretty simple question. Anyway, uh, so I started delivering the mail on Christmas Eve. Oh my goodness. Which was fine actually, but it was on a push bike. Oh gosh. Um, and I imagine the weather was delightful. Uh, well, I think actually the first day was fine. Across the winter, yeah, the, you know what the weather can be like. It can, oh, yeah. be, it can be thoroughly miserable. And so the first, I think I was three, at least three years, I think, delivering on a push bike. Never been fitter in my life. Mm-hmm. It's great. You know, I, I've got skinny wee legs again now, but you know, at one point my calves looked pretty good because there was six, I mean, there's only, it's only six miles a day or something like that, but it was just about every day. Yeah. yeah. Um, sometimes into headwind. Yeah. You know, inevitably, yeah. you might find the wind behind you on the way up the hill, and then you turn around and come back, and you have to pedal to get down the hill. So, would was the start of Amazon around that time as well? Yeah. Well, that changed everything incredibly. I mean, it was great. I don't know if you remember. Um, but there was a little scheme around about the time that we moved here, shortly before or shortly afterwards, where every household on the island could get a computer yes. if they wanted one, and a little monitor and yeah. a printer. And it was about the time that you know eBay started and Amazon started, and you know the Royal Mail have a, you know said a lot over the past twenty or so years that the, their business has changed. You know, it's fewer letters and more parcels. Massively, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so the, the number of parcels basically started going up and up and up and up. It got to a point where there's no there's no room in the in the post office there really for sorting. There's a wee bit of room, but not mm-hmm. very much. And there were days where I was getting seven, eight, nine, ten boxes, you know, yeah. that size. Big of, parcels. You know, big parcels. Some days, all these parcels had to basically sit outside the post office because there was no room inside. Mm-hmm. And so um, I I started taking photographs some days, look, and then sending them off, emailing them off to my boss um, at the post office and saying, look, you know, this is getting unmanageable, you know. On the bike. (laughs) There was a day where I had a 32-inch television turned up, but not a 32-inch flat screen television. Oh, cathode ray Yes, a proper old school, in a box that was, you know, about four feet by three feet by three feet or something like that. And I'm basically saying, how am I supposed to deliver this, you know? And he's saying, well, could you come, you know, could you ask them to come and get us? Well, yes, I can, and they will, but that's not really as, yeah. you know, fulfilling their role. Service is it? contract, yeah, totally, yeah. Um, and so then um, one of the best days of my life was um, when the post office said, okay, well, we'll get you a vehicle. And they produced a quad bike. Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> and uh, the be- that was great fun. So the bloke turns up for this quad bike one day. Myself and Dave, uh, who was the he was the kind of relief postman at the time, we both get instruction on how to drive the quad bike. And we've got a helmet and gloves and mm-hmm. all that stuff. Mm-hmm. It was great fun. And so he, you know, spends a couple of hours with us or whatever. And then, you know, he's done his instructing. 
you know, here's the keys, you know, on your way, on your way, you know, he goes away. Well, he didn't go away in the ferry, so he was a, he was supposed to go away in the ferry. Anyway, so the first thing I did with the quad bike was I ran up to the Abbey to show Jane, look at my new quad bike and whatever. And it was lunchtime and I said, you know, do you want to go home for lunch? You know, so the next thing she's on the back of the quad bike. There's a big sticker on the thing that says no passengers. No passengers. Yeah. And so we ride back down to here. And as you know now, the house is just at the top yeah. of the pier. Here's the bloke standing, waiting for the ferry, the, the instructor bloke, you know. <laughs> Jane and I, like, roaming around as if we're, you know. Kids. Kids, yeah. 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 Anyway, with the quad bike, you know, there were some addresses on the island at the, at the furthest flung parts of the marker and yeah. that I hated going to on the push bike, especially so if the, the weather yeah, was miserable. Yeah, totally. When I got the quad bike, like, the further across the marker I could go, the better, you know. It was like, yeah. oh, yes, I've got a letter for <laughs> Oh. Put the 18 theme on and away you go. <laughs> so that was great. Uh, now the postie has a van. You know that it's continued. You know the amount of mail has continued to grow. The the quad bike actually couldn't. You know there was some. You know some of those days, I'd have to make three or four trips to the abbey with parcels and things. Really? Well, and it, you know in the springtime they're getting right. stock in whatever. Yeah. You know it's it's boxes of books and yeah. teddy bears and yeah. tea towels and all that stuff. You know and it. You could get two on the on the bike at a time, but it was good fun. So I did the post for seven years. Gosh. I quit in a huff. Oh no! Not, well, not exactly a huff, but the the post used to arrive here at ten o'clock in the morning. Perfect. It, it was it was sent out of Glasgow at four in the morning or something like that. But it made the first ferry out of Oban and it was here at ten o'clock, and so you could work you know from ten o'clock. It was usually finished by the back of one or something like that. Brilliant. So then you had the rest of the day. I'd go and have some lunch. I'd walk the dog. I'd do a wee bit of design stuff. Whatever. It was good. Then um, somebody. And a cost-cutting exercise said, we're not going to pay somebody to be in Glasgow at four o'clock in the morning to dispatch the mail out. So it's going to leave Glasgow at six o'clock in the morning. And um, so then it doesn't get here until half past 12. Yeah. And if I was a morning person, I could be up and seizing the day mm-hmm. and working for, you know, a good three and a half or four hours and then going to deliver the mail. But I'm not really a morning person. And so... By the time Dean starts, you know, it's in the middle of the day. There's a wee bit of time before you work and there's a wee bit of time after you work. But it kind of, I felt it just kind of split the deal. And I felt it was a backward step for the Royal Mail as well. Yeah. And so I yeah. complained about that, but, you know, that was a decision that had been made. So I quit then. I don't have many regrets, really. No. But I enjoy it. I love to deliver the mail. The best part about it, Alistair, from the point of view of somebody coming to live in Iona was that in the two or three months when I was here and I was back to, to my flat and whatever I'd gotten to know a few people to kind of say hello to and rec- you know began to recognise a few faces and things like that uh-huh. but you know I was by no means a part of the place at that point um, when I started delivering the mail I got to I got to know who everybody was where everybody lived uh-huh. um, but more importantly they all got a measure of me as well yeah, you, know, totally. you, know, you know reliable um, or not <laughs> yeah. I think it was pretty reliable, um, but you know it was great. You know, great, and just you know, just seeing people in the morning, hello, and how you doing, and whatever. Um, and so I went from hard, you know, from knowing a handful of people to knowing everybody really quite quickly. And I say to people, oh, I must have said this a hundred times that uh, um, that I, I almost think it should be compulsory if you move to a place like this that you have to deliver the mail for a month, you know, yeah, just to... <laughs> to yeah, in. yeah, it's great. Yeah. You know, it's, it, I don't think there'd be a better job, really, in terms of getting you kind of integrated to a place. And, and assessed by everyone else as well, yeah. yeah. So you, um, you've worked in the Post, you've worked um, doing your own graphic design practice as well. Yeah. And so what... Did, what kind of work does that involve mostly on the island uh well it's mostly i do a couple of little websites i'm sort of manage and over the years i've been here i've done work for iona hostel you know, ferry posters are quite popular right. working on a new website for the hostel at the moment mm-hmm. um i did work for the columba hotel when i worked there i did one season there as a duty manager oh wow how was that yeah uh, it was good yeah it was quite it was good I, that's stressful 
Um, it, it, uh, every now and again it could be stressful but most of the time it was fine the worst thing was the shifts I did the kind of back shift Wednesday and Thursday and then the early shift Friday but it was hopeless for seeing Jane you didn't see her then and in the hotel it, it was either feast or famine you were either flat out you know the, the restaurant's busy or you've got loads of people checking in loads of people checking out whatever or it was out with lunchtime or dinner time and you were polishing glasses and polishing cutlery just to amuse yourself because there was nothing else. You know, the whole hotel's out there at the beach for the day or whatever yeah. and the place is quiet. And I think it's a wee bit changed now. I mean, they're much more into their kind of all-day food. And yeah. So I did a wee bit of work for them when I was there. And I've done work for Fari, who I work for mm-hmm. now as well. I think before I started working there, I just worked one day a week there doing kind of social media stuff and yeah. a wee bit of website maintenance and mm-hmm. things, photographing a few products and things mm. like that. Um, and But I did some work for her before I started working there. I've been working for uh, Stafford Trips for mm, coming up on nine or ten years now or something right. like that. Right, fantastic. Built a website for them as well mm. and done various ferry posters. These you know, notices that are at the top of the pier and things like that. And what's it like working on the boats going out to Staffa? How's that? It. Yeah. What, what is it that you love about it? Lots of things. Just, it's a wee bit of a change of scene. Sitting in front of a desk all day is okay. Being outdoors is different. Yeah. We're out there in all sorts of weather. Um, so some days you go and it's grey and it's miserable and the boat's rolling about and it's harder work. But there are days we go out there in the summer where it, you wake up and it's a beautiful morning, you get the sun cream on, you're away, the boat's full of happy people, yeah. we're seeing dolphins and Mankies whales and, and basking sharks and seals even, and people love seals even. Yeah. Um, sea dogs. <laughs> yeah, and you get there and the puffins are flying well. And showing and, off. And showing off and people come back to the boat and they've had a brilliant time. Yeah. And you're part of that, you know, you're only a small part of that, but it's brilliant to be... Carries a positive charge. <clears throat> oh, definitely, definitely, you know, and you meet all sorts of people on the boat from all corners of the world as well, you know. And um, Are there any that stick out as being like, what on earth? Truly amazing characters that you met. There's a guy came to the boat, was that last year, a couple of years ago, did he have a parrot or something like that? Really? Ah, uh-huh, he, he came, what did he bring with him? I'm sure it was a parrot or something like that, he came with him on the boat and... Um, maybe not characters, but people come and they bring musical instruments every now and again. Oh, I remember nice. I've got some photographs of a guy playing the pipes at, at Fingal's Cave, which is just incredible. Part of the thing is um, some people, if we, if we have a northerly wind, then when you're going from here, the journey out there can be quite... Chunky. Yeah, you know, you get into these big waves. You know, and the boat's, it's fine, the boat doesn't roll very much no. if you're you know, stemming right into it. Bows are way up and then it's thump, away, crashing thump, away yeah. down. There's lots of spray and things like that. And you get people down the back and they get, you know, they're a bit nervous. They're yeah, not yeah. used to being on the boat or whatever. And you, you know, you can go down and you can, it's fine. You know, we've, we've seen all this before and yeah. try and uh, calm them down. But then you get to have some footage of us going out there one day and it's like that. You know, you can barely see out the, the windscreen of the boat. You know, because it's a big lump of spray comes over and then, it, you know, it's running down the windscreen and then you're into another big lump, you know. But we got out there and because it's a northerly wind, when you go around to Fingal's Cave, which is in the south of the island, it's calm. Yeah. It's barely a ripple in the water. You're out of the wind. Yeah. It's sunny. And it's a completely different day. People see that as well and, and they're like, this is amazing, you know. And then yeah. the journey home with the wind behind you is always fine. Anyway. Quite fast. <laughs> yeah. But no, I love it. And actually, for most of the time... That I was working on the boat. I was working. I was on the same days as Davy, yeah. and that's great fun. You know, we we had a. It's a gentleman. Davy and Carol have always been great to me. In fact, I'll come back to the story. But, mm-hmm. but working on the boat was great. You know, usually in the morning we chew the fat a wee bit. I'd wind them up a wee bit, and then, um, you know, get them ranting, um, <laughs> and and then, and then have, you know, then laugh at them for ranting. Uh, I I can run as well. Anyway, you know, Dave and I got on really well. Generally, on the journey out, um, but once we leave Finnefer and we clear the kind of islands and Bilbo, and then he would go way down and the back and speak to the passengers, yeah. and I would just take the boat up to Staffa, and then when we got there, he would take over again and get out the land and whatever. 
and then we would either put people ashore and then just go and sit on the mooring, do a wee bit of maintenance and you know checks and things and whatever, but generally sit and chew the fat for three quarters of an hour or something like that, you know, nice. which was always good fun. Or I would go ashore, and that was the thing. I, you know, David was always very encouraging. He said, "I would go ashore to your camera, and I must have ten thousand pictures of stuff. Lots of them very similar, lots of them not very good. You know, in that respect, I was thinking, well, I'm at work here, and you're just saying I can basically go and do what you want, do what I want for an hour, you know, which was very good. Yeah. Uh, and then on the way back, you know, we would sit in the wheelhouse for a bit as well and chew the fat a wee bit more, you know. Mm-hmm. What were we going to say about Davy and Carol? Are we... uh, well, there's two stories um, about the day that we moved here. So, Jane and I packed up our, our separate lives in the Central Belt. We rented a seven and a half ton truck and we filled it with it. You know, I had my flat, so I had things out of my flat. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I was lucky I had quite a bit of furniture and bits and pieces. And we went to Jane's parents and we picked up Jane's possessions, which weren't numerous in comparison. Three of my friends, Ross, Andy and Gordon, they um, came up in the truck with us. Or we had the car and the truck and we went to the ferry terminal in Oban. The thing about the truck was that we had hired a truck and then there was something about on the conditions of carriage on the ferry, the truck's got to have lashing points or something like that and the hired truck didn't have that. And I think we had to get a guy to weld some lashing points or something, I can't remember. Mm. It was a bit of a palaver anyway. Anyway, we get to Oban, the guy who's trying to, who wants to sell us a ticket, um, is basically saying, you know, how long's your truck? And I'm saying, oh, I don't know, you know, whatever. So the next thing, he's out with a measuring tape, mm-hmm. or maybe not a measuring tape, but he's certainly pacing it out. I think he had a measuring tape. I've seen him do that, yeah. Um, and it's, you know, the truck's eight and a half metres or something like that, whatever it is. So then we get this ticket, which was, I can't remember, it was, it was expensive anyway. Yeah, it was yeah. a commercial vehicle and it's... Before IUD, yeah. <clears throat> anyway, we get down to Finnefort and it's the last day of the summer timetable. So it's be- it's not exactly getting dark, but it's, you know, it's beginning to... It wasn't the best day either. We get to Finnefort, like, at, I don't know, five to six or something like that. And the ferry's pulling out of the oh thing. Oh, God. Well, that's what we thought. It turns out they're just turning it round because on our ferry, the Loch Bui, because they've got the bit... That, you know, that spans over the deck. Yeah. If you're taking a truck like that on, yeah. you have to go on the long end of the right. We had a panic, but it was okay. Then we get on to the ferry, and that's fine. And so I can't, I, I don't want to name whoever it was. I hope he's listening. Um, <laughs> I'll I I never forget this. So we get on the ferry in Finnefer, and the person selling the tickets on the boat says, How long is your truck? And I said, Well, in Oban, they said it was eight and a half metres or something like that. So he's got his little ticket machine and he's keying in eight and a half metres into this thing and he's kind of like sucking air through his teeth and saying, oh, that's awful expensive. Then he's typing in eight metres. That's still quite expensive. Seven and a half. (laughs) Seven. (laughs) And down it goes until he gets to a point which he thinks is a reasonable amount of money to charge us. And he said, you know, how does that sound (laughs) like... That's brilliant, you know. That's fantastic. That's brilliant. So that was a wee. That's lovely. It was lovely. Uh huh. Yeah. As I say, I don't want to name him because you you might get into trouble. But I just remember at the time thinking that's you know, that's great. So that's one story. Yeah. So then we get here and literally we come off the ferry and we're here. Yeah. We have the truck parked outside half past six at night. I think we'd had some dinner on the ferry, but there's myself and Gordon and Andy and Ross and. And we're all just wanting to go to the pub. And this house is absolutely empty. There's nothing in it at all. So our plan is to basically get some, I think we had some like air beds and sleeping bags and stuff like that. The plan is to get that stuff out of the truck and basically camp here for the night and then empty the truck. The next day. The next day. That seems like a logical plan. Yeah. Um, anyway, so we've got the, the trucks parked outside there. We've got the back door of it open. And we're getting a few bits and bobs out of the thing. And Davy and Carol come past with Katrina, their daughter. And they're, they're out walking their dog at the time. And they come past and they stop and they say hello. And they know Jane because... Yeah, of you course, know, because four she, summers, yeah. Four summers, yeah. And so we explain to them that we're just going to get a few bits and bobs. Yeah. And empty the truck tomorrow. Oh, no, 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 no. We'll give you a hand. Fantastic. So... so I'm like, no, it's fine, you know, we just want to you know, just get a few things and we're going to go. No, 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 no. So the next thing, this box is coming off the back of the van and I'm standing here, I think that should go in there and I think that should go in there and whatever. The whole van's emptied and, you know. Eight minutes flat. Yeah. So 
which is great in itself. So, you know, we bid them farewell. Thanks very much. You know, that was great. You know, big help. Bid them good night. And th that's fine. So then we're sitting here, we're thinking about, okay, so when you go to the pub. It, then there's a knock at the door and it's Carol, or maybe Katrina, I can't remember exactly who it was, but she's got this newspaper parcel, which is newspaper, kindling, oh, and some coal for the fire. Oh, fantastic. You know, so that was, that was literally the, the first day that we arrived here. I thought, that's brilliant, you know. So then we had a wee that's fire. That's superb. And, yeah. Yeah. So both of those things made a big impression on me yeah, totally. getting here, you know. And yeah. I thought, this is going to be good, you know. Yeah. And 18 years on. Yeah. Is it good? It's great. Yeah, I love living here. Lovely. It's not without its challenges, you know. I mean, yeah, of course not. Yeah. The thing that overarches our existence here is the fact that we don't own this house. Yes. I... Um, and... We don't really have much prospect, I don't think, of building a house or buying a house. I mean, the cost of property around here is eye-watering. Yeah. And it's certainly, yeah, I say that to people quite a lot. And, um, you know, you speak to people who are on the boat who have come up from other places and you say, well, you'll not get a property here for less than you know, 200, 200 even upwards of that. Yeah. And they'll kind of think, well, that's... No, it's not that bad, but I think relative to what people earn, generally, then there's a, a big, there's a big gulf. Massively, massively so. So that hangs over us a wee bit. The when they built the houses up, yeah, at the Glebe, I got a wee bit of regret now that we didn't apply for them. But basically, we didn't apply for them, yeah. and that was partly because we, th you know, actually in this house, although it's not ours, we've got quite a lot of room. The two of us. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, we've got a spare room, which is we can tidy up and have people to stay in. <laughs> and it felt that we, if we took one of those houses, that we'd be taking a house away from somebody more deserving. Yeah. I think in the end as well, that you, know, everybody that's got a house there has children, and that's right. A real. I think we well, we don't have any children. But we're not going to lie and say we're planning on having children, yeah. and. So we didn't apply for one. Now maybe have a slight regret about that. There will be other opportunities that come and go, and it's you know when you're part of a community. <laughs> well, I hope so, but I'm you know as I said to you at the outset of this, I'm fifty now. Yeah. You know, the chances of getting a mortgage are going to start to dis diminish. Yeah, like I think generally in my life things have happened. This whole story of me being here has been I'd one like tale to. of of good things happening so uh, yeah. thank you so much for your time that's fantastic the thing about it is though that now I mean we're in a it's a really exciting place to live yeah I mean I don't know if you know Vary and Joanne told you that as well yeah and Davy to some extent as well but you know lots of things have been I, I suppose have been changing over the past wee while the village hall project is particularly exciting in fact yeah. it was great just at Christmas time there um, we had the men's Christmas dinner Oh, it's been a ladies Christmas dinner forever yeah and a few years ago I was like, oh, we should have a men's one as well you know and yeah. anyway at the men's Christmas dinner um, Neil Jarden it was getting to, towards the end of the night and there's a few people went away and we kind of regrouped and I was speaking to Neil and he said Gordy I'm so excited about the, tour, the new village hall I'm so excited about it I was thinking that's brilliant you know it's brilliant yeah. so that's been a great thing to be part of Thank you so much, Gordy. It was great to get a chance to catch up. I want to get more time on Iona to talk to folk there. I recently read a book about Iona that barely mentions one single person from the community, but instead talks about the religious settlement and its considerable importance. I'm keen to explore the people's story of Iona, though, so while I look forward to finding out more about Columba, the Abbey, and the community around it through the ages from future participants, I really want to dig deeper than that, into the social history of the place. There are certain people on the island whose stories encompass both worlds, and that's something I'm very keen to find out more about. Right, so, right, so, I'm delighted to say that we'll be having a What We Do in the Winter live event on at Dervig Village Hall from 7.30 to 9.30 this Saturday, the 7th of March. 
It's free to come along to. If you're about, do come and join us. We'd love to see you. It's going to be recorded for release as a podcast in the coming weeks, so do come along and take part if you're about. Rather than talking to one person, we're going to be looking at a few topics, which I'm going to ask people to comment on from the audience. I've got a couple of plants already willing to speak, but everyone's welcome to chip in. The topics are movies made on Mull, Derwig Village Hall through the ages, delivery vans, and local characters. I've spelt local with two L's there. That's not right, it's locale with one L at the end. Although these are the topics I've identified, I'm kind of hoping that we get derailed through it and go off in directions that we really didn't anticipate, so we'll see what happens. As these podcasts take quite a lot of time to make, I'm looking to fundraise through donations. So if you feel like it and you're able to, please feel free to donate the cost of a cup of coffee through the website. You'll see a donate tab there where you can donate if you so wished. I've also got a Patreon page for donations which you can find under my name, Alistair Satchel. If you want to contribute to that, you're more than welcome. And thank you so much to those of you that have contributed and donated. I I really appreciate it. But don't worry if you can't donate or you don't want to. I'd much rather you just listen than not. And if you want to sponsor any of the episodes to come as a business, please feel free to drop me a line. Also, to help me grow the podcast, if you want to leave a rating or a review on whichever platform you use to listen, I'd be most grateful. And thank you to those of you that have. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you also to those of you who reach out to say hello. It's always wonderful to hear from you. Thank you. As ever, the webpage, whatwedointhewinter.com, has all the links and info you'll need from this episode, and we can be found on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Kayu. Thank you for listening. Whatever you may be, I look forward to speaking to you again soon. More than thank. Shin Akadeh.